0: Welcome back to the Real Estate and More Show. I'm your host, Michael Hatfield. We are back with our world-renowned and respected Mayo Clinic cardiologist, Dr. Commodore Sravatsan.
1: But what we did, uh, what our administration did, was buy 250-plus acres right across us to develop a biomedical corridor, which is an innovation corridor. Corridor. basically companies which are startups or companies which are well versed with the technology and want to develop a product, Mayo provides the the ideal medium where the, the knowledge and science bec- uh, and the, so the rubber meets the road, so to speak, it actually gets translated into clinical products that the company can eventually uh, monetize and sell it and so on. So we're opening a huge biomedical corridor of 200 plus acres right across from us it will be mayo clinic but it will be an independent non clinical entity that is going to be opened right across from our hospital
0: that's just amazing you know when i first started flying airplanes i I was a three-pilot airplane, and I remember the captain and the first officer in the front saying, "You ever get a problem with your medical, your FAA medical? Go to the Mayo Clinic, and it sure seems like that's that's the place to go." I I heavily endorse uh, your place of work and and a person with your in your magnificent knowledge and grasp of of his uh, vocation the way you do. Um, When I, you know, when you think of an ablation, a lot of people get kind of squeamish, you know, going into their heart and um, it's, it conjures up quite an uncomfortable concern in, in a patient's mind. However, in reality nowadays, when practiced by competent physicians, it's, um, it's done with a, with a lot less concern in past years. Correct.
1: Exactly. I mean, I have to say I've done now, just ablation alone, I've done over 2,000. And what I find compared to 20 plus years ago when we started doing to today, complication rates have dramatically reduced because the catheters give you force sensing capabilities. I mean, if you push hard, the computer screen blinks. So, and and the amount of impedance drops which means how much thickness of the lesion occurs and what direction the catheter is facing so all these things are computerized and because of the uh, the computers have become much more advanced and the compute capability is much better i think we are using a lot of compute capability to enhance the safety of our procedures and that has really Today, I would say a complication, major complication during an AFib ablation is very, very low. And even access site issues where we just go through the groin and we used to have a lot of issues with them. But nowadays we use ultrasound to see the blood vessel. We can see this tiny needle called micropuncture entering the vein. And the complication rates in the groin in the last 10 years is close to zero. So really, these this efficacy has improved, the safety is vastly better. I mean, there are complications that occur, but it is one in a thousand or lower compared to what it used to be three out of a hundred or four out of a hundred in the past.
0: Wow, must be a wonderful wondrous thing for a patient uh, experiencing the uncomfortable feelings of missed heartbeats and high rates and of heartbeats and so forth to go into this procedure feeling this condition and to come out of that procedure and and see the heartbeat and feel the heartbeat being normal. It must just give you a, a wonderful feeling of being, being a part of doing something really great for people. And there's nothing like that. And as you, as we've talked before, back before the airline days, I had flown some of the first human heart organs and Air ambulance, and I have never been able to duplicate the feeling of I have, it's a gratification or what that I have felt from contributing something that just just something to humanity. And I know you have to feel it all the time because you're always helping people. And I just think that's just a, an amazing, amazing uh, thing to do. And you have a, a boundless amount of of energy and enthusiasm. And what continues to draw you to your Um, vocation the way it does still.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I have to say why I got into the field is uh, uh, I'm I'm an unfortunate victim of seeing my father drop dead at the age of 56 when I was 11 years old, right in front of my eyes. And that uh, was really prime motivator for me to go into the field to do the best. I'm naturally curious and i all the scientific uh, um, aspects of it. I had to go take some basic engineering classes uh, to understand what these computer guys are telling me because I just didn't want to be the end user of a computer. I want to know the computer actually functions. So I think natural curiosity, my own uh, trauma in childhood and all these things combined together and then at the end of the day, you I know only one thing well, and I don't know many things. So it is better to stay in your craft and help as many as you can until you can no longer do it. So that is the. these are the things that continue to motivate me to do it.
0: Now, I've heard from your colleagues telling me that, hey, that guy has had four residencies all over the world. And what is that about? Why four? Most people <laughs> can't make it through one.
1: Mm. Yeah, you know, I did medical school in India, but soon, uh, of course, you have to do a one year internship in India in those days, in the mid 80s. But then I moved to England. And, uh, you know, you go through internship, uh, residency, and then I even became a registrar, which is considered kind of close to becoming a consultant in England after five years. Uh, But at that time, uh, the Mayo, uh, uh, so William Waddell Mayo, had, had 150th birthday, so there were a few people who were asked to go if they are interested in going to America. So I was one of those who really liked coming to the United States, having read about Mayo Clinic at that time. And uh, I moved over here, but unfortunately, in the United States, you had to repeat everything all over again. Uh, but... It was, uh, you know, it was okay. I was in my late 20s and early 30s. I could push it through, uh, but I became a better doctor having seen the things in multiple continents. But I feel, um, I mean, I'm blessed to be associated with Mayo Clinic, and it's a great, one of the greatest countries to live, the United States of America. I've been very lucky to see so many good people, including you. I've just been very lucky life, I would say.
0: What are your hopes and dreams for your field in the future? What do you What do you expect to see? And what do you What are you looking forward to?
1: I know this is. Uh, I wish I am thirty years old because the field is exploding. Uh, artificial intelligence is going to dramatically alter the field. I think a majority of the physicians, I feel, in the next five to ten years prior to even going for an ablation, they will know where to go. And uh, because the artificial intelligence is going to predict the location, I have a feeling there is a small possibility after all the catheter skills that I learned in 10 to 15 years, it could be just radiation which treats this. And it's a quite possible that uh, x-ray therapies that are treated for cancers will be modulated in dose and the gating would be, the gantry would be gated to the heartbeat so that it will only deliver it in diastole, which is when the heart is relaxing. And that might solve the arrhythmia. And after all, the next generation may not have to move catheters. I feel with AI and these kind of technologies, there may not be any arrhythmia that may, that will remain unsolvable uh, in the hands in 2040 or so. I mean, I'm very jealous of the next generation is going to have a much easier time and the challenges that we encountered.
0: Well, doctor, I got to tell you something. Um, it is certainly wonderful to meet an individual like you. And uh, just to know that there are dedicated professionals have made their lives work helping others, these wonderful human beings so entirely go out of their way to make patients in some way better. And having the vast research and development resources of the amazing Mayo Clinic behind these efforts, miracles can happen. Dr. Commodore Srivatsan is one of these wonderful people we are blessed to have on this earth. And truly angels do live among us. Thank you for being on the show and for sharing, Dr. Sri. You've been uh, listening to the Real Estate and More show on KGO 810 AM, The Spread. Now it's time for How's the Market, special edition number seven. I have Nancy with me here. She's going to ask a few questions of me and I of her. We'll spend a few minutes talking about some interesting real estate
2: developments. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Michael. How How are you? you? I'm good, how are you doing? Great, great. Good. Well, recently when we were preparing to sell a home to some clients, we began talking about taxes, and which is always a consideration. So, can you can you talk to that a little bit?
0: Are we talking about property taxes? We are. Oh, those things that <laughs> uh, I think the tax assessors always call them ad valorem. What a big name for those. Yep. But yeah, they're kind of an interesting thing. Um, in most counties in California, the fiscal tax year is actually. Um, uh, the first installment payment is due November one, and is delinquent December tenth, and it covers taxes from the period July one through December thirty-one. The second installment payment is due February one, and is delinquent April tenth, and it covers taxes for the period January one through June 30th. And when when a person buys a home, mm-hmm. the seller's tax basis is used uh, during escrow and for a short time after escrow. And the new buyer will actually end up Paying based upon the seller's tax basis for a short period of time.
2: So explain that a little bit more. Well, please.
0: the tax, the tax uh, records, uh, the tax assessor takes a little while to get caught up with the new buyer, so they um, they have to give them a little time. So when this house sells on whatever date, the escrow company prorates who owes what to the date that. Um, Uh, the escrow closes. And at that point from when the escrow closes on, it will be the new buyer's responsibility. And what I'm trying to say is that the new buyer will pay taxes based upon what the purchase price of the home was, but Mm -hmm. it won't happen. He won't be billed. The new buyer will not be billed for a short period of time and he will actually pay taxes uh, based upon the seller's tax basis and then once mr. taxman catches up with the new buyer uh, they send what we call a supplemental tax bill to the new buyer don't ignore those a lot of people have ignored them uh, they thought they've already paid their taxes but they'd paid the seller's taxes on their house basis and then up comes uh, Uh, this uh, supplemental tax um, and they don't pay it but then you pay those and then the tax uh, man puts everything into your name at the new tax basis and just as a rough uh, estimate 1.13 to 1.15 of the purchase price uh, is usually what uh, it will be so if um, for example if a a seller had paid four hundred thousand dollars for his home in nineteen eighty five and then turns around and sells it in two thousand twenty three for a million dollars, the new owner will pay an estimated one point one five percent times the purchase price, or roughly eleven thousand five hundred dollars a year on the new home the seller may have been paying only forty six hundred dollars per year based upon his four hundred thousand dollar tax basis
2: so eleven thousand five hundred would be what they would pay annually correct
0: yes it's annually and so that when you buy that home you're going to expect those taxes to go to the adjusted basis which will be um, based upon your purchase price normally and um, they will um up with that uh, supplemental tax bill anywhere from you know three weeks to three months four months later and then once you get that you pay that and then um, that's when it has actually been reassessed into your name and then you'll be paying um, you know your own taxes based on that
2: and I've heard you I advise clients many times, pay attention to that supplemental tax bill. Don't ignore it because you don't want to get in that situation.
0: New home buyers, don't be distressed so much about interest rates. I, I know that affordability is, is an issue when you go to buy your home and to qualify for the loan and your payments are more. But one of the things I keep advising is that in the Bay Area, you have wonderful appreciation. Appreciation here probably better than most places in the entire country. So um, look to the appreciation and not worry so much about the interest rates. And and uh, you know the, a lot of buyers are on pause because of those interest rates that have been stair stepping since uh, March April of uh, 2022.
2: Because interest rates will always fluctuate over the years, and so typically when you buy a home, hopefully you look at it at the longer term, longer term, so it makes sense to, if you can get into it, into the home, get into it and let your appreciation flourish
0: and as you know um the first home that we bought was 12.5% interest Mm -hmm. and that has been a long time ago and of course the values weren't as high then as what they seem to now but over time that appreciation is your ace in the hole in the Bay Area this is my view of course check it all out yourself I was just looking at a chart from the National Association of Realtors and that chart uh indicates that the average home in the U.S. was valued in January of 2019 at uh, 270000 Obviously, it's not the Bay Area. And yet in January of 2022, the value of that same home had went up to $445,000 um, as a medium single-family home Mm -hmm. sales price. That's quite a bit, and that's in the nation. That's not talking about where we live in the San Francisco Bay Area where we're, um, I don't know if I could say gifted, but we we certainly have a a good... um, a good appreciation rate here in in the Bay area. Yeah. And one of the other things also is over the last, I would say three to four years, we've had a decline, a significant decline in the, um, the number of single family homes that uh, are available for sale. And as they have, uh, Came out, and we have such lower numbers of available homes for sale. You put any type of demand to that, simple economics says that oh my gosh, you know, the values are going to go up. And uh, just recently, we've kind of had a little lull, I would say, July and August and September, but now it looks like uh, things are starting to pick up just a little bit and the the, um, the prices of our Bay Area homes will continue upward. Um, interestingly, the national numbers, um, Indicated since, um, you know, one year change from July 22 to July 23, uh, up 1.6% uh, in home price appreciation. And then uh, since 2020, 33.2%. And that's in the nation. That's not here in the Bay Area. I would say the Bay Area maybe has a little bit more.
2: That's really significant as well.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, pay attention to these um, numbers and the simple economics behind them, because that is where you're going to uh, make a little bit of money. Um, Interesting also, I looked at another chart from uh, the National Association of Realtors. And since uh, June of June 19th, a year over year drop, it was uh, roughly... In new listings, there were 470,000 new listings in the US, and then in June of 2023, that it had only had like 340,000 new listings. That's off, that's a hundred and you know, 30,000 less listings coming on the market. in that period of time, so it's it's really kind of of crazy. So we have not very many homes on the sale um, on the market for sale, and yes, the interest rates are high, but having a lady on the other day, a really senior lender, she says, you know, folks can go right out there now, and um, and buy at 5% down and still make out really well over the long haul. So that's that's a very interesting um, proposition, buying at 5%, because it takes something like seven years to get 20% down payment available so you can purchase.
2: Even though there is less inventory, we are still seeing the multiple offers in particular homes. Not every home, but particular homes, so it's really, very interesting to see that occur sometimes a home is just popular and it's in a very desirable area maybe the home's been very you know fixed up and it just has all the you know checks all the boxes for many buyers so absolutely right but it's there's no doesn't seem like there's an exact science when that's occurring
0: absolutely and I'm going to say this again most people probably tired of hearing me say it but We've always heard location, location, location. Yeah, that's number one. They say it's number one, but not in my view. I think number one is the market, the buy, sell of housing market, you know, how many homes are available for sale and how many home sellers are out there as opposed to how many home buyers, the market is what we all swim in. If the market is robust, you're going to see, a lot of activity. You're going to see, uh, the prices go up and you're going to, uh, have, it's just going to be a robust market. So market is number one, location, 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 where the prop is situated is number two I would say number three would be um, the actual property itself and the desirability that you just alluded to Nance mm-hmm. um, I, I you know, I'm totally with you there if it's a desirable home it's gonna sell us but it's not gonna sell as quickly June of 19 there were active listings in the United States 1 million nine hundred thousand in June of 2023, just
2: 1,100,000. That is quite a drop, Michael. A drop
0: of 800,000 active listings since June of 2019. I'm going to say that again. Since June of 19, 2019, there has been a drop of eight hundred thousand homes available for sale. So people wonder when when we say, you know, if it were me, I would get out there and I would I would snag that house right now while the getting is good.
2: Makes sense. Makes yeah. a lot of sense.
0: Yeah. So um, recession. What about the months' supply of inventory? Mm-hmm. Um. Back during 2011, the recession, a tremendous amount of homes available for sale, foreclosure crisis. Uh, we haven't seen it this time. Everyone was saying, "Well, the prices are going to drop way back, and they're going to be a real problem." Haven't seen it this time. There's been um, somewhat of an equilibrium in the San Francisco Bay Area between the number of sellers and the number of buyers. It's been somewhat in balance, uh, of course. First, you got to take a look at the uh, seasonal fluctuations there, but somewhat in balance. Uh, a lot of homes again, market recession in 2011, lots of homes for sale right now. Homes for sale, as we just discussed, have dropped way, way down. So, that's uh, that's an interesting uh, point to take a look at.
2: You know, and one of the things that I keep thinking about is you used to talk about how many homes there were just nationwide available for sale. It was hundreds of thousands. It's so fascinating that there is this limited inventory. And if you really want a home... You got to go. You got to go gotta for go it and decide it. you're going to do it.
0: You got to go get it. I heard Dave Ramsey say, mm-hmm. oh, maybe it's probably been about three, four weeks ago. He said, go, wait. Don't wait. Go now. I tend to agree with Mr. Ramsey. But of course, you're going to check with your own uh, experienced real estate professional before making any moves, whatever, whatsoever. Uh, one other point I wanted to make out is cash buyers. What about cash buyers? Since 2011, the inventory, has declined, but we have seen Mm -hmm. the percentage of cash buyers increased significantly. Today you're roughly twenty seven to twenty eight percent in the United States of the buyers are composed of cash buyers.
2: That's a big number, Michael, actually. And in our area, we do see that happen, that there are all cash buyers. So if I were going to be a buyer now, how would I compete well with a cash buyer? I think there's probably some things that could be done. Um, but it can be somewhat of a challenge what do you think about that
0: it is definitely a challenge when a seller takes a look at an offer that comes in he's thinking wow how much how much difficulty am i having uh, you know how much pins and needles am i going to have to sit on until this thing closes with a cash buyer usually they offer a short close all cash um, not waiting for a lender to do their thing. Um, how does a person that has to have a loan compete with that mm-hmm. type of uh, of an offer? Well, ironically, there's ways, and mm-hmm. this is where an experienced realtor, which is number four in the priority of of um, the home buyer's analysis. Number one being, again, the market. Number two being location, location, location. Number three being the property itself and its attributes. And number four is your experienced agent. Your experienced agent is not just a person that you have it's a cousin of y- your friend or it's your own sister-in-law that's been doing this for a while your experienced agent is the person that actually goes out and helps you to compete with a potential cash offer and I'm not saying that cash offer versus a financed offer is is a uh, you know, always going to win. I'm going to say that sometimes you can position your client to where the seller will say, "I don't mind waiting." You know, twenty three days or twenty four days because maybe they're going to pay me a little more. They're going to give me a little bit of time to get out after the escrow is closed, and right. I just like them.
2: Right, right. So those are good points.
0: Yeah. Uh, I want to thank Nancy for joining me today. She's, uh, She's quite a nice lady. I'm happy to be part of her partnership for the last almost 40 years. So you've been listening to Real Estate and More. I'm Michael Hatfield, your host. Until next week when we can get together and talk about topics of the day, interesting people, and real estate. Have a wonderful week. God bless.
1: The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. Information on the show provided for illustrator purposes only and does not constitute professional or legal advice. Information from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Michael Hatfield and the Michael Hatfield Remax team have no liability for information discussed on the show. Consult with qualified professionals prior to taking action
2: we at the michael hatfield remax team enjoy representing our valued clients if you or someone you know is interested in buying or selling and wishes to schedule a complimentary appointment with the michael hatfield remax team call us at 925-322-7775 that's 925-322-7775 or go to our website michaelhatfieldhomes.com
0: i'm michael hatfield thank you for listening today Join us next Saturday at 9 a.m. for the next Real Estate and More when we again sharpen our focus on hows of
2: the market. Join us next Saturday morning at 9 and have a wonderful week. Best wishes and blessings to you. DRE 01493761.